Welcome to Helpline 3. I'm Jade Belexa. Cancer can be hereditary. Have you ever thought about genetic testing? Joining me now with the details is Dr. Mary Nordberg. She works in genetics and patient education at the Willis Knighton Cancer Center. Thank you so much for joining me, Mary. Thank you for having me, Jade. I appreciate it. Tell us, what is hereditary cancer? So hereditary cancer is just a subtype of cancer. We all know cancer, everybody's heard the word. Hereditary cancer is like it sounds, it are those cancers that run in families. So when you see large families or small families who have multiple family members with cancer. So cancer is a rare disease. It typically does not happen frequently in families. We see quite a bit of it at the Willis Knight Cancer Center. However, in general, if you have multiple family members with cancer, not even all the same type, probably the prototype is hereditary breast and ovarian. Lots of breast cancer, the mom, the grandmom, the aunt, the sisters. Uh, that would be an example of a typical family that would have hereditary breast cancer. And there are certain genes that contribute to the reason, predisposition genes, the reason that these individuals are developing cancer. Not just at an early age, but multiple family members. So hereditary cancer is a subtype of cancer. It ranges from 10 to 20% of all cancers. So again, not all cancers inherited, but there is a percentage of high-risk patients who do have hereditary cancers. Who should consider genetic testing? So the typical rules historically, and they are changing as we've learned more, are uh, individuals who develop cancer at a young age. And so I'm not talking about the pediatric patients, I'm not talking about the St. Jude patients, et cetera. I'm mainly talking about adults but young age being less than 50. So typically it was individuals less than 50. That, that timeline has kind of moved now to 60 or less, but historically it was 50. Multiple family members in your family, a personal history. So if you have a personal history of cancer, say at 40, say you had breast cancer at 40, you would be an immediate candidate. But if you had a lot of family members or family members who had rare cancers like ovarian cancer, like male breast cancer, other things like that, that would be considered to be anybody as a candidate for uh, possibly considering genetic testing for hereditary cancer. Are there other cancers of concern? Oh, there are. There are ovarian, again, rare cancer, pancreatic cancer, rare cancer, male breast cancer, very rare. Other certain unusual tumors that people develop that you think about something, something is happening in an individual that is the damage that causes the cancer is not being fixed. So it either is something unique to that person, or it could be that that person has actually uh, an inherited gene that prevents them from fixing it. So, so for example, one in eight people with cancer, so out of everybody that has cancer, one in eight of those individuals is likely to have a predisposition gene that, that contributed to their development of cancer. So this is something important to know. What are the benefits of, of the genetic testing? So there are multiple benefits. Obviously, if you are a cancer patient yourself, and say I'm a 40-year-old woman, I have breast cancer, and I'm seeing one of our oncologists at willis Knighton Cancer Center, and they know the risk, and I am tested, and I have a predisposition gene, then I, it kind of explains why my cancer happened at an early age. 
the people who it benefits ultimately are my family members. So these are genes that are passed down through generations. So it's a vertical pattern. So it goes from grandmother to grandfather to daughter to sisters, sons. So not, it's not just about women. Men can pass these down too, even for breast and ovarian cancer. Um, and then children, so it's vertical. So everybody in the family is basically at 50% risk of inheriting these genes. So who does it benefit and why do you do it? Once you identify a predisposition gene in a family, it's beneficial for non-asymptomatic, unaffected individuals who might be at risk to be tested because if they are positive for one of these highly potent penetrant genes that that contribute to cancer then they can be screened so say i'm a 35 year old woman and i have inherited one of these high-risk breast cancer genes i normally wouldn't start my mammograms and screening until later in life but now that my physician and all my caretakers know that i have inherited this gene my risk of developing cancer is very high so i'm going to start all these screening modalities much sooner than if i was just a pop regular jane doe in the population mm -hmm. So what can genetic testing do for, for my family? So it can, it can identify people at risk. It can help also determine treatment. There are new treatment strategies for people that have certain uh, genetic changes uh, for breast, for prostate, for potentially pancreatic ovarian. There are, there are drugs now that if you are positive for some of these predisposition genes and have cancer, you become eligible. It also can help your family, again, for screening. So normally people wouldn't go in for screening until they're at uh, age appropriate. So colorectal cancer, for example. If I have a gene that predisposes me to colorectal cancer, instead of waiting until 45, which is now the new standard for population screening, I might start much earlier. I might actually start at 30 if I'm at high risk and I have a strong family history. But it's more, it, it family history, we used to just look at family history as, as what would document for who's susceptible and who's not. But we know now that 48% of people who have no family history whatsoever carry these predisposition genes and they would be missed if we weren't very prudent in identifying and educating people about the risk of having these predisposition genes. Mm. So uh, is genetic testing covered by insurance? It is. So most of our patients, so again, if you are a patient at willis Nine Cancer Center and you have cancer and you're young and you meet the criteria, yes, it is covered. There are some indicators that, you know, a lot of times we have to write letters of medical necessity, but yes, it is covered by insurance if you meet the criteria. So for example, uh, random person walking down the road, if they want to know do they carry a predisposition gene, maybe, maybe not based on their family history. Maybe they have clinical management decisions. For example, women sometimes who are contemplating a hysterectomy and they're trying to decide to do a partial hysterectomy or a full hysterectomy, i.e. removing the ovaries. If they're positive for one of these ovarian cancer genes, it, it is absolutely imperative that they would take the ovaries out how so there are there are situations that we would do so it is covered by insurance you can however do a self-pay option uh, with some of the minimal criteria and you can pay out of pocket 
based on your indications. Okay. And uh, Barbara is on the phone. Uh, Barbara, good afternoon to you. What is your question? Yes, I have a sister-in-law that has had cancer. She went through chemo and radiation, but now she has the skin cancer all over her face and her arm and leg. And I was wondering if that's a concern of that it's spread all over and how long she can live with this. So that's the other thing I did not mention when we're talking about criteria. So again, young age for cancer, multiple family members with cancer, multiple cancers in the same individual. So not necessarily spread of the cancer, like say for example, her original cancer spread to her skin, but maybe she has a new cancer. You can actually have two different cancers. You can have breast cancer, for example, and have say breast cancer in the right breast and then at some point develop a second cancer in the breast left breast not a spread but a new primary cancer so multiple cancers in one individual will be considered a high-risk phenomenon because something is going on in, in your sister-in-law, as you say, something is going on that's allowing these cancers to develop. So she would be someone who would be probably, would, would probably meet the criteria and should at least have a discussion with her physician about genetic testing. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Barbara. And so let's talk about the process for a little bit for genetic testing. Um, if if someone wanted to to get this test how, how do they how do they go through with the process so what I do with Willis Knighton is a lot of our oncologists radiation oncologists hematology oncologists they will refer based on their identifying a patient I receive a lot of referrals from family practice women's health etc so we have done a very good job I think regionally and in this community of educating our caretakers and our health care providers how to identify people so everybody's pretty much on the same page who's at risk who's not at risk and with some fine-tuning however you can also self-refuse self-refer so example Barbara's sister-in-law if she was concerned, she could come in, meet with me, and I would go through, I spend about an hour with the patient pre-test consult to say, you know, this is, this is what genetic testing is, this is what it isn't, this is what it can do for you, this is what it can't do for you, and, and really, you know, verb, you know, verbally explain all the risks and benefits of genetic testing. And again, it's not, it doesn't go away. So once you genetic test somebody, there is some personal responsibility for patients if they are positive to follow up. But the process is basically we meet or they meet with their clinician, healthcare provider, the test is done, and then it can be a blood test. It's pretty simple now, it's a blood test. We do a lot of cheek swabs. It's like a Q-tip in your cheek, a buckle swab. And basically the DNA that's in the cells that lie in your cheek or the DNA in the cells that are in your blood is tested for multiple genes. So when we talk about genetic testing, it's not just one gene, it's not just two genes. It's anywhere up to almost 200 genes, depending on the type of cancer you have and what we're trying to do but we test a multi, it's called a multi-gene panel, and we test you for a variety of genes that contribute primarily to all the eight major solid tissue tumors, breast, ovarian, uterine, skin, prostate, pancreatic, stomach. So all those, we have genes based on clinical-based evidence, so all the genes that we test for 
are known clinically to increase your risk of cancer for various solid tumor cancers that we do. So it's, it's not, because I always hear about the, the BRCA test, so this is more than just that gene. It is. So what happened though in, uh, in 2015, so if anybody listening to this uh, session, anybody who was tested genetically before 2015, it is now indicated that we retest, we do a retest, because one, the technology is drastically better. Two, we've gone from testing just two genes, BRCA1 and BRCA2, to now now, again, like I said, up to 47, 86 genes, because there are many patients who were negative historically for BRCA1 and BRCA2, who now we know carry these other genes. And so what we're trying to do is identify these individuals if they're at high risk or not. And there's really more to the story than BRCA1 and BRCA2. BRCA1 and BRCA2 receive a lot of press and a lot of attention, but there's a plethora of other genes that contribute to cancers. And the same with males. And for those of y'all, uh, male, don't think, you know, it just has to come from your mom's side of the family because the dads can equally pass on these genes and it may not surface, like your father may not be symptomatic, but then the daughters inherit the gene from the, from the parent. Mm -hmm. But the process is relatively easy. It takes about two weeks. So if there's any planning involved or purposes, surgery, management, clinical management, it takes about two weeks from start to finish to get the DNA from the patient, we send it off to a reference lab, do the test, and then I call the patients back in for a post-test education session to explain what all this means. If, if you know cancer runs in your family, is, is it, do you get better results, say, if, if me, my aunt, my mother, if we all get tested? So usually we start with an affected individual. So say your mother had breast cancer. She would be a logical person to test because she's either gonna be positive for the multi-gene test or negative. If she's negative, then maybe she falls into the, the regular population risk for women getting breast cancer. If she's positive though, moving downstream and sideways from her, then we have a target to test everybody for. It's a lot more efficient that way instead of randomly just testing everybody. But family history again, or just you know individual concern. And you can have a family that has multiple different cancers, not just all breast, not just all ovarian, but you can see prostate, you can see lung, you can see a bunch of different things. And then those are also families that would be at risk for testing. Okay, so what happens if I am positive for any of those genes that, that you all test? So if you're sitting here and you don't have anything and you're a healthy young individual, there are guidelines. The National Comprehensive Cancer Network, which is the guidelines of cancer treatment, has pretty standards, the American Cancer Society. There are many organizations that, professional organizations that have standards for treatment. So if I am a 40-year-old woman and I am BRCA1 positive, I know by the guidelines, again, clinical guidelines to do this, this, this. I do mammograms, I schedule a GYN exam, even if I'm completely healthy and have nothing. So you don't have, and there's a lot of options if you do stuff. There's preventive surgery. A lot of people have heard about preventive surgery, um, but there's also increased surveillance. So I would be doing clinical surveillance for early detection 
without having to do like if I choose not to have preventive surgery, I can do I can do uh, surveillance and and then everybody knows that I'm BRCA positive and they're watching me very carefully because again you can't change it I can't snip it out and fix it it really becomes we're gonna watch you and some people that's good for some people they're good with going all the time some people want to do the preventive surgery so they don't have to worry about it so intensely but there are there are follow-on guidelines so that's one thing I spend time with a lot of patients on is educating there are risks I mean it's not just oh fun it's ancestry.com let's do it you know and where I came from it really there are clinical management guidelines if you wind up being positive you know if you're positive for one of the predisposition genes to colorectal cancer you may have to start doing colonoscopy sooner if it's for breast you may have to be doing mammograms sooner if it's for pancreatic you may have to schedule some of that but the good thing is on that is you know we we really want to you know the cancer patient is easy because unfortunately they're in our clinic. We're seeing them, we're following them, we know. What is a little more difficult are the people, the asymptomatic people, the people who have no cancer, but have these predisposition genes because now we've got to watch them and we don't want, we want to stop you at the door from having cancer if I know you're at high risk. So we'll just, you know, you'll go around and we'll funnel you around, we'll put you in a high risk clinic, whatever, but we don't want you to get to where you're actually a cancer patient. We operate with a group called FORCE, it's called Facing Our Risk of Cancer Empowered, and they call those asymptomatic individuals that carry mutations, they're pre-vivors. They're not survivors, they're pre-vivors because we know that they're predispositioned to develop cancer, but they're pre-vivors so we know who you are. And I would not know who, say you, I would not know who you were unless an event happened in your family, i.e. if your mother came into our cancer center and I identified your mother as having a genetic predisposition so now I know who you are and everybody alongside of you. So there are some management guidelines that if you're positive, again, remember, it doesn't go away. You can't change it. Again, there's a personal responsibility and you can work with your health care provider on doing the follow-on. So if I already have cancer, does genetic testing benefit me? Yes, it does. Because first of all, on many levels, it, it can help uh, determine new treatments for you. If, if they're one of those genes that we have new therapies for, which is, is a big one. We also, it helps kind of explain maybe why you have what you have. Uh, it helps your clinician, you know, instead of coming back in five, so, so a colonoscopy is a good one. Instead of doing your 10-year follow-up, you know, you might be on a one-year schedule now. You might be on a closer schedule. You might, instead of waiting two years to come back for a checkup, you might be coming more frequently because we know that what, and just because you've had cancer one time doesn't mean you're not gonna get it again. And that's the, that's kind of the, the ugly part of it is that, you know, well, I've already had cancer. Why do I need to do this genetic testing? Because it's every cell of your body, remember? So it's every cell of your body carries these genetic changes. So if you do have cancer, say breast cancer, and we know that you're BRCA positive, okay, that explains why you have what you have. But then suppose you just did a lumpectomy or suppose you did a, a one-sided mastectomy, the risk of having breast cancer in your second breast is high. So you now move 
to another bucket so we can watch you a lot closer. Mm -hmm. So are there, are there other resources that we can research to, to help my decision in genetic testing? There are many, there are many. I mean, as I mentioned before, the organization FORCE uh, is, a, is a volunteer organization, not-for-profit. They have a wealth of educational things, both for patients who carry mutations or patients who wanna know. There's many different organizations. There's, for example, there's a certain gene that contributes to stomach cancer. And there's a group called No Stomach for Cancer, and they have a lot of guidelines for what do you do if you're positive for these in developing gastric cancer. Same with the prostate group, same with the breast ovarian group. There are many educational resources, American Cancer Society, everybody. And then we at Willis-Knighton spend a, a tremendous amount of time and we do, we do brochures and things that we send to patients. And again, genetic testing is not an emergency really. It's not, uh, oh my gosh, I have to do this now. It, it, it's going to be there whether you do it today or five years from now. The difference is if you carry one of these genetic changes and you wait five years and God forbid you develop cancer in that five-year window, you said, I, I should have done it five years ago and they would have been watching me a lot more closely. But there's a, there's a, a ton of resources. Willis-Knighton has a bunch. We have several resources that we uh, share with patients to help make their decision because it really comes down to a patient decision. And, and you know, I don't tell people what to do. I provide them with the education and the materials to make informed decisions on their own. So are there signs of hereditary cancer as opposed to regular cancer? Regular, no. sporadic? I mean, no. The only signs would be if your family history is strong, or you have family members who have young, but there, there are a lot of young people who get breast cancer, for example, and they don't have these mutations, but, but it's sort of a, a trigger that you can use to sort of, you know, move forward. And that's where, you know, I send out surveys to people. We do a, a little chat bot thing that I send out and people answer them. And then the other fact is that we do, uh, you know, breast cancer risk algorithms and things like that to sort of identify even beyond genetics, you know, am I at high risk based on some internal questions I ask, women's health question, am I at risk for breast cancer? But yes, we have tons of resources and, you know, we have podcasts and videos and other things that, that patients use because genetics is not, I mean, everybody knows DNA, it's pretty easy, but the whole part, and I was telling you earlier, the testing part is easy, it really is. It's the interpretation and the follow-on that is challenging for most people because everybody's different. Everybody really wants different management choices. Some people don't have a choice based on how they present. Some people have are too young and they wanna think about it. You know, the 30-year-old who hasn't had children yet or anything and she has BRCA1, and you know the indication is to have your ovaries removed she's not there yet you know so we ha so her timeline will be different than the 60 year old who's BRCA1 positive who's over childbearing years and can do all that mm. 
So is is the results that you get after you take the test? Is it is it simply a positive negative or or how did the results it can be. play out? I mean that's the easy. The easy answer is yes. You're either positive for the clinically relevant mutations or pathogenic variants we call them now that we test for, or you're negative. Okay. Now I will just comment that even if you're negative for say a 47 gene panel that I test you for for the common inherited cancers. If you're negative, doesn't mean you'll never get cancer. You just fall back down to the population risk. So instead of having a 70% chance of developing breast cancer in your lifetime, now you're back to the 10 to 12% that the population has. Okay, but however, and you can be positive. So positive is easy, we know what to do. If you are negative, um, that's easy. There are some variants that we pick up and they're called variants of undetermined significance and that's really what it is. They, we, the denominator of the people who have those certain variants, they're not clinically disease causing but they're not truly negative. The denominator has not been enough to classify them in a positive or negative. And the reference labs that we use for testing look at this data daily, I mean daily. And as more people, say you have a one, two, three variant, and it's not disease causing, but it hasn't really been negative, then they will eventually reclassify it. And most of them, like 99% are fall back into the benign. That's why it's always helpful to test an affected person first, because then it's a cause and effect. So if I were to test you and you were negative, but I don't know what the rest of your family has, are you the 50% who's negative? Or does your family have something else and we just didn't, didn't hit it? Yeah, it's, exactly. it's evolving. It evolves every day. I'll just tell you what I'm telling you right now on July 27th will be different on July 27th, 2024. Wow. You have an interesting job for sure. It is. It is. <laughs> So uh, tell me the percentages again of what's hereditary cancer and the, the other cancers. So it's about 20%. At Willis-Knighton Cancer Center, for our metrics we do for our cancer committee, it's about 20%. And some cancers are more. So ovarian cancer, for example, if you take ovarian cancer alone, about 24% of ovarian cancers will have a genetic change. Again, a hereditary, a germline genetic change. In, in prostate and pancreas, it's about 18%. In breast, it's about 12 to 15%. But as a whole, it's probably close between 15 and 20%. So they say though, and, and the movement, and I'll just throw this out, the movement is ultimately that every individual who has cancer should eventually get a, a germline, meaning an inherited DNA test to see, because as you know, we've gone from only two genes, so like I said, up to 86, 200 genes. And the, the amount of information through that course from 1993 when we started testing to now has drastically increased. So again, we know all cancer has a genetic root, but it's not all inherited. So we, we learn more daily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just uh, amazing to, to know that um, you can come and, and get this testing and um, the results can re really help and you I, out in the long run. And I mail kit. So say you have a family member that lives in Cleveland, Ohio. So if, if Jane Doe is my patient here and I've identified uh, a, a variant, a pathogenic, a disease-causing variant in her, and then she gives me a list of her family members, then I can ping off of her result and I mail kits all over the country. 
and because you know Jane is the event so Jane started out as the event but Jane's children Jane's sisters Jane's brothers everybody all over the country then can be tested within a certain timeline free of charge because that we have a, have identified a family member that has a disease causing change and see that's what I need to do with my mother and my aunt because um there you go, that, that would be helpful to know because uh, both of them had cancer, so. So it is, and I think that we are, the, the oncologists that I work with at Willis-Knighton, we're all very good. Again, we have spent a, an inordinate amount of time on educating, again, family practice, women's health, everybody about, it's really about how to identify individuals before they get cancer so that we can test people and then, you know, we move you from the population risk to the high risk so we can start scheduling you for all the things that you need to be scheduled for. Mm -hmm. Because again, it doesn't go away and people will get in denial and they won't go do anything. And then 10 years go by and then, you know, then you have to kind of start over. And then you become an event because you no, nothing was done. Yeah, because you didn't take those prevention measures. But tell tell us how people can contact you. So I'm at the Willis Knighton Cancer Center. Uh, my phone number is 212-6214, 212-6214. Again, your clinician can schedule, can refer. I do a lot of referrals from all over the community. Uh, you can self-refer. You can just call and make an appointment. We can do Zoom. I do a lot of telehealth. Uh, you can come in. I'm physically at the Cancer Center on Kings Highway, and we can say sometimes people want to, sometimes people's perceived risk is higher than their actual risk. And those are the, the, the ones that I'm like, okay, Ms. Smith, I understand your concern. You really don't meet the criteria, but if you really are, have so much anxiety and you wanna do this, then I can facilitate the testing for you. Your insurance may not cover it. And then we can talk about a self-pay option and the self-pay option is $249, which is a pretty good deal for, yes, for what? absolutely, yeah, so, that is a good deal. All right. Well, thank you well, so thank much, you, Mary, I for coming on. It. Yeah, thank we got to have you on to talk about some other genetic testing. All right. And thank you all for watching Healthline 3. Have a great day.